I'm glad you guys are here to worship the Lord with us this morning. Um, in talking with several of you guys beforehand, I think um, a common theme that I saw and heard was a little bit of tiredness. I think this first week back to school for families may have worn you out just a little bit. That heat sucked the life out of you just a little bit too. Um, so my prayer is that you would really engage with the Lord this morning despite that because God really wants to teach us some beautiful, wonderful things from his word this morning. Uh, before we get to the text, um, I think it's fairly reasonable to say that we live in a time of great division. There's a ton of division and anger and finger pointing and hate that's going on in our world, in, our, in, our, in Springfield, and I mean across the globe, truthfully. And one of the interesting things in this season is that I really think it's crazy how quickly people uh, are to make enemies out of anyone that believes differently from them. I mean, it's not just a, a, a casual disagreement, but it's literal hate often, and, and people will, will write and say, and I've heard this so many times, that those people, the ones who see differently from me, are enemies. Craziness, whether it be over a mask or no mask or vaccine, no vaccine, whatever political side you might be on. But man, there's some crazy division that's going on, and it's nothing new for this season that we've been in. But the thing that's interesting to me is how we, I shouldn't say we, I'm not going to throw you guys in there because I'm going to believe in my heart that we aren't people doing this, but how quick people are to see other people as their enemy. And in our text this morning, we're going to look at this a little bit, and how do we deal with our enemies? What does Jesus have to say about this? Interestingly, Abraham Lincoln, um, in the height of the Civil War, um, he referred to the Southerners as fellow human beings who were in error. And he was approached by a lady who told him and she was just chastising him, saying that they were to be called enemies who must be destroyed. And Abraham Lincoln, he responded, he said, Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? And I thought, man, what a powerful statement and a true statement. So let's look real quick at how Jesus wants us to address these sort of things and what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verses 43 through 48 this morning. These are the words of, of Jesus. He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for your grace that you just daily 
lavish on us because, Father, we fall short so often in so many ways. And this morning, as we look to your word, I pray that we would, (laughs) yes, Lord, we want to understand it, but more importantly, Father, help us to live out the truth of this word through the actions of our life. Lord, this is difficult. And we need you, Holy Spirit, just to fill us up and give us the power and the ability to walk in obedience to these things this morning. So may our hearts be open, our minds, our ears. We want to receive from you this morning, Lord. We love you. We give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our text this morning is honestly probably one of the most difficult teachings in many ways because actually applying and doing what it says can be very difficult and it's radically different than how the world tells us we should handle our enemies. Um, You might be able to intellectually get there and agree because you know you're supposed to, that this is God's word, this is the Bible, this is truth. Yes, okay, this is how we should live, but to, to actually flesh that out in your life is a whole different thing. Grant, there's a lot of things in Scripture like that, right, that we intellectually agree with, but then applying it can be rather difficult. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to take these verses piece by piece and look at them um, and go from there. So verse 43, it tells us, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, If you've been here with us for a while, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that that Jesus has been reminding them over and over of things that they had been taught, things that they had heard from the Old Testament, but then he's sharing with them the true heart of these things. When it came to murder, when it came to divorce, adultery, all these different things, he, he begins like he has by saying, you've heard that it was said. And then he tells them, he kind of raises the bar, honestly. Um, And so in our text this morning, when he says, you have heard that it was said, what he's doing is quoting from Leviticus chapter 19. The thing about that is that here the scribes and the Pharisees that were teaching people different things from the law in the Old Testament, they actually added to what was said in Leviticus 19. Because it does not say, if you look there in Leviticus 19, uh, I believe it's in verse 18, it does not actually say to hate your enemy. If you go back and look at that, it does not say that. But they added that to there. And so Jesus, in recognizing this, he corrects what they have heard before He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says this, he says in verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Think about what Jesus is commanding us and telling us to do. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is one of those verses that you literally have to look in the mirror and do some serious wrestling with. Love your enemies. I don't know about you, but in my flesh, that's not my natural reaction with anyone or anything I would deem as my enemy. It's simply not. That's not the way of the world for sure. If you have an enemy... You take care of business and you get rid of that. You eradicate them. You destroy them. They're your enemy, right? But Jesus here is saying, love your enemy. 
pray for those who persecute you. And to do this, guys, I'm telling you, it's divine. It's a divine thing to live this out. It's been said that returning evil for good is satanic. Returning good for good is simply human. But returning good for evil, that is divine. And I think there's so much truth to that. Martin Luther King Jr., he had this to say. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The command of Jesus here is very simple in many ways. He's saying whoever your enemies are, whatever that looks like, however they come, your job is to love them. And our love must be manifested through our actions. You can say you love your enemies. You can say you love your spouse. But if you never demonstrate it through any actions, I really doubt that. And your spouse will too, I promise you. But listen to what it says in Proverbs 25, verse 21. It says, it says in Proverbs 25, 21, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, it says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Is that how you guys handle those things? I don't know. If your enemy's thirsty, give them something to drink. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. This is some very counterintuitive, countercultural ways of dealing with this, right? Man, pray for those who persecute you. So let, let me back up just a second here real quick. How we love our enemies can look a whole, like a whole lot of different ways, okay? We'll look at it more in a minute when we look at Jesus and how he handled certain things. But the reality is you love your enemies by doing good to them. You don't re repay evil for evil. You bless them when they don't deserve it. And then he says to pray for those who persecute you. So it may be that you're praying for their conversion. It may be for their repentance. It may be that they would be awakened to the evil that they're doing. Whatever it might be, but you pray for them. And we'll talk about this here in a minute. But guys, honestly, the best way that you can go to battle against your enemies is through prayer. Because God can do in an instant anything and everything in the heart of a person. I'm sure that's a story for many of you here. We see it throughout scripture, but God can take the hardest of hearts and transform it in an instant. And so, yeah, we'll talk about it here in a minute. I don't, want, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I do that a lot. Okay. So, you know, I think about like, you think about everything that's going on in our world right now. You look at what's going on in Afghanistan and honestly, when I see what's going on there, and guys, there's all sorts of evil in the world. Afghanistan's in the spotlight right now for all sorts of reasons, and, and that's good. It should be. But there's some horrendous things that take place in our world on a daily basis. And honestly, when I see those things, my prayer, if I'm just being really raw with God, is God, go wipe those people out. That's where my flesh goes. When I think about praying for people that are persecuting other people, that's where I go a lot of times. But you know what? Then I think of Paul. I think of the Apostle Paul. 
And I think of a man who was an incredible persecutor of Christians. I think of the Apostle Paul who was glad to see Christians murdered. And I think about the incredible change that the Lord did in his life and how he went on to be the writer of so much of our scriptures, right? A man that gave the rest of his life to following God and making disciples and and going on all these missionary journeys. I mean, it's an incredible transformation if you think about it, right? And so then when I think about it in that lens, my prayer doesn't become God wipe them out. My prayer becomes God turn them into a bunch of Pauls. Imagine that. That's our greatest hope. In Romans chapter 17, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21, it says this. It says, do not repay anyone, anyone, evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus tells us how we are to handle our enemies, those who persecute us. And it's not the way the world does whatsoever. In fact, we overcome evil with good. Think about Jesus. Jesus was ridiculed. He was spit upon. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was flogged. And he was hanging in the last moments of his life here on this earth Well, not really. Actually, he came back to life, right? Okay, he's hanging on the cross being crucified after enduring all that. And what does Jesus say from the cross? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You talk about loving your enemies, those who persecute you. They were awful to him. He didn't deserve a piece of it. And in that moment, after enduring all that, that's the heart of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, listen to what Stephen was saying at the end of his life. This is in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 59. It says, while they were stoning him, in the midst of being stoned, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He's in the midst of being stoned, but yet somehow he has compassion and love for these people enough so that in his last breath, he's crying out to God, don't hold this sin against them. He wants to see them forgiven and experience the life that comes through Christ. How incredible that Jesus would do this, that Stephen would give us this example. But guys, we are called and told here in Scripture to love our enemies. And it doesn't make sense always to our minds, but God's ways are higher than ours. They're far better than anything we can come up with. Amazing, divine love that you see. And here's the reality of loving our enemies, guys. We will never love like this until we experience first the love of God in our lives. Until you know God, the one who is love. And they'll never live like this unless we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and give us the power and strength to live this out.
Think about what it says in John where we're called to abide in Christ. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You will not love your enemies if you are not abiding in Christ. So you go on in our text, and in verse 45 it says this. It says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, don't be confused here. Loving your enemies does not make you a child of God. Rather, loving your enemies demonstrates that you're a child of God. It's the, it's the fruit of loving God, loving your enemies. So don't get confused on that part. He goes on and he says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what this is saying here, I think it's summed up. Sinclair Ferguson said this, and I'm sorry, I apologize. I meant to put this on the screen, so you have to put your like really good listening ears on here. But I think this is a very concise um, um, statement to help us sum up what, what Jesus is saying here about his causing his son to rise on the evil and the good and how he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But it says this, Can we really love those who have been hostile to us? Not as long as we live by the principles of the kingdom of this world which at best encourage us to ignore our enemies and at worst retaliate against them. Only the kingdom of God can provide sufficiently strong motives to help us love our enemies. Your father shows love to his enemies every day in the giving and giving the sun and the rain to the righteous and the ungodly alike. He has every right to retaliate against sinners for the dishonor they have done to his creation. Instead, he shows mercy and patience. We are to do the same, like father, like son. You see, God in his grace and his mercy and his love continues to show grace and mercy to those that love him and to those who don't. And we should do the same. And in verse 46 in our text, it says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't, do not even pagans do that? Listen, people hated tax collectors. We hate tax collectors in some ways, but um, it's a way different deal back then, I promise you. Okay, and he's saying, listen, even tax collectors can love those who love them. Even they can treat people who treat them well good. We're to be different than the world, though. We're not to live like that. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of evil coming against us, we are to do good. We are to love. That's how we're to respond to it, not like the world. I always love the analogy and just think through. What do birds do? Birds fly. That's what they do. What do fish do? They swim. That's what they do. What do Christians do? They love. That's what they do. That's how it should be. Our lives should be so full of love for God, first and foremost, because it all flows from him. You'll never love people well if you're not in love with God, the one who is love. And so we're, that's just what we do. We love people. It's who we are. That's how it should be. And so then he goes on, verse 48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now let me help you out real quick. You might read this, and I just want to tell you, you will not do this, this side of heaven. None of you guys are perfect. Some of you guys look shocked. I don't know if nobody's ever told you this before or not, but you are not perfect, okay? You must be single, first off. Um, but second, you will not be perfect this side of heaven. But here's the deal. This is our aim. This is our goal. 
We're striving to be like Jesus, who is perfect. That's what we're pursuing, his righteousness. And so um, do not forget that, that one day, though, there will be no more sin. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You see, righteousness, purity, that's our goal, that's our aim, that's what we're um, striving for as we follow Christ, to be like him, the one who is pure and perfect in all his ways. So that's what we're looking at here. Now, when it comes to loving our enemies, I think one thing that's important for us to not forget is that we all were once enemies of God. You may be like, oh, I've never been an enemy of God. What are you talking about? Well, look at Romans in chapter 5, a couple different places. It says in Romans 5.10, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, when you were in your sin, you were in opposition to God. But the beautiful thing is in Romans 5, 8, it tells us But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see Jesus modeling this perfectly? While we were in opposition to God in sin against a holy God, he didn't say, well, I'm going to wait till you start treating me better, then I'm going to love you. He said, no, you know what, despite yourself, despite the sin, despite the opposition to me, I'm still going to demonstrate my love for you by sacrificing myself to pay the penalty that you actually deserve. It's incredible love, incredible love. God didn't send Jesus because we deserved it, you see, because we were good to him. We were in opposition, but he showed it by sending his son Jesus to die for us. In the same way, guys, we can say we love our enemies. We can say we love those and pray for those who persecute us, but it must be demonstrated by how we live our lives. And you know when you're doing a good job of this and when you're not. The Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to convict us. And so you know when you're living right in this stuff and when you're really blowing it. When you're being a jerk to those who are being a jerk to you and you're starting to hate people for no reason besides they just believe, see things differently than you. Like, guys, think about what old Abe Lincoln said. Destroy them by making them your friends. Help them to see Jesus. Because it's impossible to be a lover of Jesus and to have hate in your heart for your brother. That's not the way of God. Some of you might be here this morning and you might be listening to all of this and when you, hear, when you hear Jesus say, love your enemies, you might be thinking, listen, I'm a fighter. There's all that fight and flight stuff, you know, and all, but you might be thinking, listen, this is just not in my DNA. When somebody's against me, I'm a fighter. And you know what? I'll say this. We're all fighters. We're all fighters. We could sing, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. 
But the reality is this. You are called as a follower of Jesus to be a fighter. In fact, it tells us, and this won't be on the screen, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it tells us that we're to fight. He, this is a charge, Paul's charge to Timothy, to fight the good fight of the faith. In Galatians, we're told to put on the armor of God. Why do you need armor unless you're in a battle? But we're called to fight the good fight of the faith. So when you see the scripture and Jesus saying to love your enemies, we are not talking about uber uh, pacifism or anything like that whatsoever. But we are called to be fighters for the kingdom of God. But we got to do it in the ways of God. And it looks very different from the ways of our world. We don't fight like the world fights against our enemies because our battle isn't against flesh and blood, right? It's a spiritual battle that we're involved in. And so don't feel like you're being told just to, to simmer down a little bit. Rather, guys, this is all of Scripture and following Jesus is a call to go to war for the things of God, for the kingdom of God, for the people of this world. But it's how we do it and when we do it that matters so much to the Lord because we don't fight like the world. You're in a battle. You're fighting against evil. I hope you realize that. When you're sharing the gospel, you're fighting in the spiritual. When you're praying and fasting, you're fighting in the spiritual. And it matters. It makes a difference. You know, years ago when I was a police officer, uh, well, I was a police officer. I resigned from the police department to be full-time here at the church. And it wasn't long after that that one of the guys I used to work with, he got shot in the head. And by the grace and mercy of God, he survived. He lost his eye. I mean, it's miraculous that he's alive right now. And I remember when that happened, I was furious. And I felt like everything in me said, I want to go back to being a police officer so I can fight against the evil that's here. That's where my mind went. That's where my heart went. And I was mad and I was upset with God. I'm like, why would you call me away from this when I have such passion in me right now to go and fight in this way? And so, um, I don't know why, because I don't like running, but maybe I was training for something. But I go and get on our treadmill that we had at the house, okay? Maybe it's to get some frustration out. And um, I'm running on that treadmill, and I'm thinking all these things. I'm wrestling with God. And because my wife is a good, godly wife, um, she had on our treadmill these note cards with scripture on them. And as I'm running on that treadmill, I begin reading these note cards with all these different scriptures on them. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And he said, Clint, you are in the fight against evil. And when you fight for the things of the kingdom of God, it's a far greater fight than any other fight you could be in. You can do just as much fighting for the souls of the lost than you can on the streets as a police officer. Do not forget that. And with the same passion you have right now, have that for me in my ways. And it revolutionized how I viewed Fighting the good fight of the faith, fighting against evil, making a difference in our world. I would hope that all of you guys that are here this morning want to see some change in our world. I would hope that all of you guys want to make a difference in our world. Well, guys, the way to do that is really simple. Engage in the things of God. Follow Jesus and be the light of the world where you're at. Every moment of every day, wherever you go, it's not an accident. Like you are there for a reason and a purpose to be an ambassador of the Lord. So don't shrink back in those moments, but stand tall and be proud and be bold. Because the world needs Jesus. If, if, 
Al-Qaeda and ISIS and the Taliban over there, if those people would give their lives to Jesus, that stuff wouldn't be happening. So that's how we fight against our enemies, by loving them and introducing them to the one that is loving. Guys, listen, here's the deal. Romans 13 gives us a whole nother thing about our military and police. We're not talking about that. We're just, it's a whole different thing, okay? And those guys fight in different ways for our country and for our freedoms and against evil, okay? But for us, listen, you love your enemy. Love your enemy. Pray for them. So... Last thing I want to say, because it's just been burning in me. I get really frustrated with Christians. <laughs> Imagine that, right? You know, <laughs> I get frustrated with myself. Good night. But I get so frustrated because, I, I kid you not, I feel like some Christians are more passionate about masks and political stuff and vaccine or no vaccine. I'm like, if a fraction of that passion would be put towards the things of God, we would see incredible revival. And everybody thinks, yeah, if other people would do that, but you got to look in the mirror. And so look in the mirror today. Come before God and say, man, how come I don't have the zeal for you and your kingdom and your ways like I do for some of these other things? God, I want to fight most, uh, like Francis Chan has this quote, and I love it. I don't know where he got it or if it's one of his, but he says, he says we sh- our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding in life at things that don't matter. And I feel like that's how we live so much. So worried and consumed about all these things that ultimately don't matter. If you want your life to matter and you want to see the world change, man, fight for the things of God and give your life to that. There's no regrets in that. All right, I said it. If you're upset with me, I'm sorry. But that's okay. Actually, I'm not sorry. (laughs) Three questions this morning for us. The first one is this. How do you respond to those who hate you and persecute you? You know, I don't know why. I just thought about this. I thought I had this in my notes. But, I mean, think about what Jesus said. He said, listen, they're going to hate you because they hate me. You're going to experience this. Because I know some of you are here this morning. You're thinking, I don't have enemies. Well, guess what? You don't have to see someone as your enemy for them to be your enemy. They can want to destroy you even if you want to love them. They're still your enemies because they're coming after you. And they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. They persecuted Jesus. To follow Jesus, you're going to experience persecution. It's just a way of life. Don't forget that. But the question is, how do you respond to those who hate you and persecute you? With vengeance? You repay evil for evil? How do you respond to that second question? Will you commit to praying? Sometimes it's really hard. When somebody has wronged you, they've hurt you, they've been persecuting you, they've been doing all this stuff, to actually pray for them. And it's very therapeutic. And guess what? You just go to the Lord and you be honest and raw with him. I want to destroy this person. I'm so upset with what's happened. God can handle that. Okay, you go and you be raw before the Lord. But you pray for that person that God would change their hearts. Pray, 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 because there's power when we pray. And then lastly, number three, the question is, how can you rise up and engage in the battle. This isn't a call for us to stand by idly and let the, the enemies and the evil in the world run rampant. This is a call, honestly, for us to engage in the battle, but in the way that God wants us to engage in it. We're so, we, we just sit back and observe so much. We love being fans. We love being critical of the people in the fight. 
on the court, on the field. Man, we're good at that. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's no spectators. We're all to be active participants in fighting the good fight of the faith. So how can you rise up and engage in the battle? Come before the Lord. Ask God how you can do that. If you'll stand, let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I confess, man, I do not do a good job of this. I do not pray for those who, who drive me nuts, who come against me, who, who slander and gossip. I, don't, I just don't do a good job of that. And Lord, help us just to truly live out your word. Father, that we would love our enemies and, and pray for those who persecute. You move, you work, you do the miraculous when your people pray. So, Father, help us not to see prayer as some thing that's going to be so silly and ineffective. That's how the world sees prayer, like tossing a coin into a wishing well. But we're praying to the God who has authority in heaven and on earth, who takes the impossible and makes it super simple. So, Father, come and work and do what only you can do in our hearts, but also in the hearts of those that, that desire evil, that are doing wicked things in this world, Father. I pray that they would be like Paul, that they would be incredible persecutors and murderers of the faith, but they would come to know you and be transformed by the love of God and go on to be world changers for the kingdom of God. Do what only you can do in their hearts, Father. And Lord, show us how we can engage in the battle. If we're here this morning and we're clueless on how to engage in this battle against evil, it just has to start in prayer. Help us to be faithful to praying, to seeking you. We love you, Lord. You are good. Thank you for your grace. Thank you so much for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, guys, before we worship this morning, I'm going to have Kelly and Amanda Fitzpatrick, if you guys can come up here. Kelly and Amanda um, are missionaries. They've been missionaries in East Asia for a long time. And then uh, because of COVID and different things, come on, front and center here. There we go. Okay. Then because of COVID and different things, they ended up stuck here, which ended up being the greatest blessing for all of us. Okay. But they are phenomenal and incredible, incredible couple. And so they're getting ready to go back to a different place to be ambassadors of Christ and continue the ministry that God's called them to. And so this is their last Sunday with us before they go back. And so um, let's, just, let's just pray over them for God to work and move and protect them. So if you're a hand raiser or anything like that, I mean, just stretch your hands out towards these two and let's just, let's just pray and, and send them off. Father, thank you so much for Kelly and Amanda. Man, just give them strength, Father. Give them wisdom just to continue to follow you, to be faithful and steadfast in their love for you, in their unity, in their marriage, and in their ministry, Father. May they just be incredible, incredible lovers of people. That literally, Father, when they walk into a room, into a place, onto a bus, whatever it might be, Father, that people would recognize you through them. 
Father, give them, like, like Paul prayed, just clarity and open doors and boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, Father. I pray that they would see a tremendous harvest where they are going to minister, Father, that, that you would do, like in that prayer for the Ephesians, where you tell us that, that you will do far more than all we could ask or imagine. Just do that in their lives and in their ministry, Father. And thank you so much for this season, this time that we've had with them, Father, for the way they've blessed us and encouraged us and, and taught us so many things and just been a friend. We're so thankful for, for them and their time with us. But Lord, we're excited too for all that you're gonna do moving forward. So we love you, Jesus. Thank you for our brother and sister here. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.